Like they're not trying to say this doesn't have any risks. They're just trying to build something that can kind of intertwine interest rate differentials between TradFi and DeFi. So I think what they're trying to do is super, super cool. And I think that they've gone about it the completely right way. And their launch video had a Kendrick Lamar song in it, which I was a huge fan of. So I think they're doing everything right, honestly. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Zero X Research. March is just around the corner, and I wanted to make sure to give you a quick reminder to not top tick your prices of your DAS London tickets. If you use codes 0x10 at checkout, you can lock in a 10% discount on your ticket. Don't miss out on your chance to get ahead of the curve. I'll see you in London. All right, guys. Welcome back to another episode of Zero X Research. The BlockWorks Research team is back to bring you another analyst roundtable. Today is Tuesday, February 20th. And we're joined by Matt and Greg from the BlockWorks research team to jam on the latest market happenings. I'll kick it over to you, Sam, for the news and governance updates first. Yeah, yeah. I'll kick it over to Matt, actually, because he's a little more in tune with this stuff than I am. But Uniswap incentives for new deployments. What you got, Matt? So there's a current proposal live on Tally or live on chain for Uniswap governance. It looks to create launch packages for new chains that uh, receive a Uniswap deployment. So although this proposal just allocates our existing chains, such as Linea, Scroll, the Polygon ZK EVM, um, Blast, Tyco, and a few others, the plan is to have this be like a further program so that when new chains in the future receive a Uniswap deployment, they'll receive this launch package as well. The launch package comes with, comes with between $250,000 and a million dollars in incentives um, for a few months after launch. And it additionally comes with a deployment on Oku, which is a... Uh, a foundation funded project that has a front end integrations for Uniswap. So a lot of time when Uniswap deploys on a new chain, it will not be included on Uniswap.org. So Oku is an alternative uh, user interface that allows for the trading of it. This proposal is really cool. Uh, Uniswap has actually seen a few chains it's launched on and it doesn't receive the same success or the same, um, you know, it's not the king of Dexons on that chain like it is on Ethereum or on Arbitrum, plenty of other chains. So this launch package will hopefully help mitigate that with the future chains it launches on, as well as set a good precedent as far as um, you know allowing Uniswap to work well with the chains that it's that it's you know that that it's benefiting from and that are benefiting from this deployment. How did they choose or allocate like between like two hundred fifty thousand and one million? How much to allocate to each of these chains? Because obviously there may be some like kinds of bias here like for example if base gets like one million dollars and for example scroll only gets like two hundred fifty thousand dollars like one would think that Uniswap's trying to align with one of these like how do they overcome those biases or how do they decide how much to allocate so for this original experiment there were snapshot votes ahead of time that you know asked should we allocate i think the numbers were between 200 i think it was like 250 500 or 1 million and then the on-chain proposal included you know the the sentiment from the temp checks so I think most of the chains were 250 with Binance Smart Chain being a million. Um, there might be some other outliers in there that I'm missing. But again, this is an experiment. So I think in the future, like the actual uh, framework for how to quantify how much each chain should get and how it should actually be allocated on those chains will change. Today, the actual allocation, which is another interesting aspect of it, is being done by Merkle, which is an angle protocol uh, product. I actually don't know very much about it. But I think that there'll probably be a lot of lessons learned where in the future, you know, these allocations will be done differently as far as the amount and which, which pools actually get incentives as well. I haven't used, uh, I think you called them Oku front end. Is it look and feel the exact same as Uniswap or is it different? And then tagging along on that, do they get the front end fee similar to how they do with like Uniswap.org? 
So they have no fee as far as, you know, uh, actually on exchange currently, but they could definitely integrate one in the future. I'm pretty sure in the pr proposal, it's included that $60,000 a year or $5,000 a month, something like that, will be paid to Oku for those integrations. So it's kind of like knocking the proposal a little bit. Um, it just so happens the proposal is made by GFX Labs, who also created Oku. So there's definitely a lot of benefit in this for them, but I still think it's a great idea. And at the end of the day, it's necessary to have those integrations. As far as the look and feel to the exchange, it's very different than the Uniswap front end and Jill is more in line with like a centralized exchange. Gotcha. Awesome. Um, next up, back to you, Matt. Actually, again, the ARDC, you want to talk about that a little bit? Sure. So the ARDC is one near and dear to my heart. It's an Arbitrum proposal that already passed tally and will soon be having a, uh, you know, a second step or a second part of it, a milestone on, on Snapshot. So the ARDC was looking is a group, the Arbitrum Research and Development Collective. It looks to bring service providers into the Arbitrum DAO to help governance operate more efficiently. So there's four seats included in it. There's a research seat, which we've actually applied to be a, a part of. There's a risk seat, and there's only one applicant for that. That's Chaos Labs. And there's a, there's a security seat where I think almost like 15 or 14 different security firms, including some of the top tier ones and the best ones in the space, such as Trail Bits, Open Zeppelin, Zelic, uh, Nethermind, the list goes on and on, have applied for this seat. And there's an advocate, the DAO advocate, which is a position who there's three applicants for who actually leads these roles as to what they should be working on. So should they be doing, you know, review, what, what should they be auditing? What should they be doing research on? What should they be doing risk assessment around? And that's the advocate's job. There was, I believe, 17, maybe 19 total applicants. Um, and soon on Snapshot, there'll be a vote to decide who actually fulfills each seat. So it's a pretty cool proposal, first of its kind. I believe the total budget allocated to it was something like uh, $2 million ARB, so $4 million at current prices. So there's a lot of money at stake, and there's an RFP process where these service providers can come in. And I think it should actually help the DAO operate more efficiently and smoothly. It'll be interesting to see who gets included. Obviously, we're hopeful that Blockworks Research is included in the seat. So if you have our votes, please go out and vote for us next week when it goes live. Um, we actually partnered with Delphi on this initiative, which is kind of a first to its kind of partnership. And it's kind of all of it is, is a first, first to its kind of experiment that hopefully will lead to you know a more efficient and effective governance for Arbitrum in the future, maybe other DAOs as well. In the scenario that um, for like the risk, because you say there's only one applicant, that being chaos labs does the DAO still have to vote that in or do they get like no choice and they basically have to take chaos so the rumor i heard is that there'll be like a ratification like a yes or no for voting chaos in but at the end of the day that'll be up to uh, a mutable lawyer who actually created the proposal as well as the multi-sig that the funds have been allocated to which has five signers on it so i'm not sure what they decided but the rumor i heard was that it'll be like a yes or no ratification process all right, if no one else has any thoughts on that, I can move on to the next update we have. We have Vertex launching Edge. I'm personally very excited about this. I know listeners are used to listening to me talk about Vertex, but this is actually really cool. Uh, it enables other perp stexes to basically fork their code and plug into their sequencer uh, to gain access to their order book liquidity on Arbitrum, which has over $50 million of liquidity in there. I think this is a 10 out of 10 direction and move, and I think people are kind of sleeping on Vertex. Their volume has dropped off over the past couple months due to declining value of incentives as well as post-TGE hype, which, you know, we're pretty used to at this point. But I do find it really interesting that 
if a new chain pops up, you can just launch a launch a perps front end, basically fork their contracts, and then plug into like very deep liquidity. And ideally, this will increase the amount of volume rooted through Arbitrum's liquidity base and increase revenue for the Arbitrum DAO. So I think it's a big win for Arbitrum. Um, but then it's also a big win for Vertex and Vertex users because depositors will likely earn higher yields on those assets that are deposited. And it's just generally a really clean uh, user experience, in my opinion, the cross-margin setup, as well as uh, the the embedded money market, as well as perps, borrowing, spot, etc. So pretty cool development there. Not sure if anyone has any thoughts on Vertex. I think one thing that comes to mind for me is you're seeing a lot of these apps like Vertex or Synthetics launch cross-chain like interoperability for lack of a better term solutions like Vertex system or the, or the book liquidity which will be accessible on multiple chains and it kind of begs the question you know like on one hand I think a lot of us want to figure out interoperability between rollups whether that's like atomic asynchronous synchronous composability pick and choose your combination of words but on the other hand you could also argue that some of these apps may make that type of interoperability redundant however like there is a caveat there that this is only within one protocol. But for example, if someone were to build like a cross-chain like derivative margining and like sequencing layer, then perhaps like you don't need the rollups themselves to figure out interoperability. That interoperability could occur at like a protocol slash app level. And I think that's like a interesting possibility. I gotta say Vertex has become an interesting token to me again to keep an eye on. Um, like, you know, two and a half, whatever, three months ago, I was trading at 600 mil FDV. And at the time, it seemed like a very rich valuation. It's had a lot of pullback in price action recently. I think it's down to something like a $300 million FDV. The fact that they keep shipping awesome products, and in my in my opinion, it's one of the best UXs of any exchange. Um, additionally, it has some interesting tokenomics. It's making me want to pay some attention to it. Um, I don't own any, and I don't plan on buying it anytime soon, but... I definitely one that has now re-entered my radar and sphere of potential purchases um, in the coming months. I think that $300 million doesn't seem as bad for a purchase exchange that's, you know, constantly shipping products, has real yield to its token. And uh, yeah. Yeah, as like the shared sequencer narrative heats up, I could see Vertex getting a re-rating, especially as those tokens launch of like Espresso and Astria, because honestly, that's kind of what they're doing. It's still going to be centralized and off-chain, and you're definitely trusting like the Vertex team there, but it kind of falls within the same narrative basket, in my opinion. So curious to see what happens after those token launches. But uh, moving on, GMX, in, actually in, in line with the perps theme, GMX is looking to reduce the APR multiplier of points in an effort to make the base fees more attractive to new users. So people who aren't familiar with GMX, basically you can stake GMX, get ESGMX, uh, and then you get a lot of points, which multiplies the amount of yield you earn from the fees paid from traders. But I think they're starting to realize it's hard to attract new traders because people have those points stacked so high that you know the base fee for new people coming in isn't very attractive. So they're trying to alleviate that. I look at this as like a very good move for GMX. GMX has fallen off pretty substantially over the past year. Uh, and losing market share to more of the order book design. So I think this is a 10 out of 10 move, and, and hopefully this can revitalize some of the activity occurring over there. Yeah, it's even it's interesting that even with such an insane amount of incentives over the last few months that it still hasn't really been able to make a dent in its market share, um, at least not that I've noticed. I haven't looked at the numbers in a bit of time. So there definitely needs to be some changes to GMX. Like, you know, they pioneered 
the GLP model slash, you know, for XAMMs, they brought DeFi degens to Arbitrum. And like, there's a lot of amazing things about GMX, but it does seem like with the launch of, you know, Quenta uh, slash first V2 and, and Vertex and all these other perfectexes of late, you know, GMX really has fallen off. Um, so I'll definitely be looking for more, for more ideas coming out of that team and, and hopefully some, some big changes in the future. So GMX has like the new GMX like V2 vaults and which are a lot more siloed. How do you guys think that performs in a bull market? I mean, we've seen the market rip up like at all, like one X or whatever for most majors, uh, and a lot more for like slightly smaller altcoins. And obviously like in a bear market where people were getting chopped up, I think GMX did relatively okay. Um, but then with the bull market coming up, you know, like liquidity providers will probably like experience a lot of realized profits from the traders who are trading. And I think you saw something wrong with Hyperlucid just last week, but that was probably a little adjacent. And it just seems like the liquidity provider model is not that sustainable, especially as you head into a raging bull market. I'll disagree with that at a, at a high level. I think that there's ways to build, you know, look LP per time per MMs that work. I think it's all about balancing open interest so that LPs don't have as reduced exposure to, you know, per, to trader P&L as possible. I think last I looked, GMX still had an absurd amount of long OI compared to short OI, something like, um, I don't remember the numbers, but they tried to, you know, create mechanisms to balance open interest and it kind of just didn't work. Likewise, Purpose V2 has created a lot of mechanisms to try to balance open interest. And as the bull market is heating up, it's not working so well. So that said, you know, I don't think it's an easy task to create mechanisms to balance open interest. But if you look at, you know, traditional sports betting and how they balance lines, like how they move lines to balance the amount of money coming in, um, you know, betting on both sides of it. I think that there's a lot of lessons to be learned there. And in the future, like, you know, perhaps AMMs for long tail assets definitely do have a place in our industry slash for gambling. Um, but yeah, no one's figured it out perfectly yet for sure. To me, it just comes down with, um, like if you look at majors or if you want to trade something like ETH or BTC, now we have order books on chain. Like why not just use those? Don't like com- overcomplicate things. Um, but then when it comes to long tail assets, I do see the um, appeal of these AMMs. But then again, it comes back to like, yeah, having to design a system where LPs don't get screwed over, which is going to be a hard problem to solve. I just look at DYDX and, you know, you've got really, really cheap fees and you've got 100% of that revenue being passed on to stakers. Like if you have an LP base that you have to incentivize to actually provide liquidity to make it a useful product, you have to charge higher fees. So like, I just don't see how that model is sustainable other than long tail assets potentially. Um, But even then getting deposits on those long tail assets is like a very difficult task. So I'm definitely on team order book, I guess. I mean, one thing that maybe could work is I've been actually lately looking at osmosis quite a lot. And if more and more of these like AMMs decide to, or would decide to build a Cosmos chain, then you could in-bake into the chain, like these different types of like transaction fees and um, MEV fees and whatever that could be channeled to like native token t- token stakers, or even those that provide liquidity to the AMM and by that, um, like method increase the yield that they are getting. 
I would just echo your guys' thoughts that, you know, for anything in the top 100, definitely for Bitcoin and ETH and likely anything in the top 100, there's no way that perhaps handmaps make more sense than an order book, at least from my perspective. But I don't think it's worth discounting the value of perhaps handmaps altogether. Like if you look at the total value of that market, of course, it's going to be bigger than for trading long tails. Um, but I definitely think that there's a lot of money to be made in perhaps handmaps as far as long tails. Then one thing that we've never seen that I really hope we do in the future is, you know, these perhaps handmaps integrate a more gamble five type outlook. Like, for example, and this sounds so degen, but you should be able to trade, you should be able to play blackjack against, you know, perps AMMs LP, perps AMM LPs. Oh my gosh. So like, I don't understand why that's not something we've integrated yet. Um, you should be able to, you know, gamble against them, like with sports betting and things of that nature. So I don't think that, you know, perps AMM should look like exchanges and I don't think they should try to become, you know, uh, market leaders for trading Bitcoin or ETH or anything of that nature. But I do think that there is a huge market, especially as we see gambling increase every year over year. Like gambling, I think, is at an all-time high as far as the amount of people and how much money they're gambling in the real world. Um, and I think perhaps AMMs actually do have uh, the ability to like capture a large portion of that market in the future. That's the um, the winner model, right? Like WINR, they have a basket of liquidity that people can trade against. I'm really surprised that there hasn't been a a partnership between GMX and one of these uh, Arbitrum native gambling platforms where they just set up a GM pool with USDC and that's what people bet against and then that team builds the UI. That's actually a really good idea, Matt. Yeah, I honestly know nothing about Winner and it's one I need to look into for sure. Yeah, the liquidity just is, is not great. But moving on, we've got Pyth just established their DAO constitution via vote. Pyth is, is killing it. Pith, Pyth, however you pronounce it, not sure. But nevertheless, they are uh, the first chain link competitor that we've actually seen that uh, seems to have some actual legs underneath it. So that's pretty exciting. And then we also had Gido lower the proposal threshold to submit, uh, or sorry, the token threshold to submit proposals to 10 million Gido tokens from 30 million. Uh, and the foundation just delegated 12 million tokens to 20 different addresses. And excitingly enough, Blockworks Research was on the receiving end here. So we're super excited to uh, be stewards in the Gito DAO because we view that as one of the most promising projects in the Solana ecosystem. Um, but aside from that, we have some Spark updates. Brick, you want to take that one? Yeah, sure. So um, MakerDAO recently passed a proposal to increase the kind of the DAO, uh, the die that Spark can borrow from 1.2 bill to 1.5 bill uh, still needs to pass an executive proposal um to be implemented but um it's pretty sure to go through and this just helps or will help spark grow more uh during the year and they've been doing pretty well um my prediction for this year was to uh for spark to reach three billion um dollars in supplied capital and it's looking better and better all right, we uh, we got a segment of Hot Seat Cool Throne, but first let's go to our uh, daily section with DYDX. All right, for this week's DYDX segment, we have David, the VP of Strategy and Operations at the DYDX Foundation. Could you please uh, start by telling us what exactly the DYDX Foundation is? Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Uh, so the DYDX Foundation is an independent nonprofit uh, based in Switzerland whose main purpose is to support and grow uh, the DYDX proto protocol ecosystem by enabling communities, developers, and decentralized governance. 
the foundation has been around for about two and a half years now uh, and was established in June 2021. All right. Yeah. And Blockworks recently posted that the foundation has been allocated $30 million in DYDX from the community treasury. Could you briefly walk through how that will be used and maybe the three-year strategic roadmap of the foundation? Absolutely. So yeah, the foundation put together a pretty extensive proposal that was posted on the forums about two weeks ago. Uh, you know, the foundation now has a pro- or had approximately six months of runway left after about two and a half years of operation. And as a nonprofit, uh, the foundation was looking to seek community funding to continue to operate uh, and deliver on a three-year strategic roadmap. The foundation's vision is that the DYDX chain will become the underlying infrastructure of the largest DeFi protocol in the world, uh, where really any asset that has a price feed can be traded. Um, and the DYDX Foundation wants to help support um, and accelerate the growth of a robust DYDX ecosystem. So um, how do we do that? Um, there's really you know seven different uh, verticals that, that we explore. Um, the first is really enhancing the DYDX chain's governance, velocity, and impact. The second is around fostering DAO enablement. Uh, the third is around supporting technical and strategic integrations with the chain infrastructure and applications, um, helping to scale the adoption of the DYDX chain, um, enhancing global marketing and communications around the brand more broadly, um, and then lastly, hiring and retaining an A player that we built, uh, an A player team that we built at the foundation and supporting operational excellence across the, the ecosystem. Um, so the proposal went up about two weeks ago um, and the voting period ended with really pretty overwhelmingly positive support. Um, I think there was about 98% uh, of the, the stake weight in favor and 86% voter turnout. Um, so, you know, we're, we're really excited that the community is uh, supportive of, of our three-year strategic plan, and we can't wait for what's to come next. Yeah, congrats on that funding, by the way. That's super cool to see the community kind of rally support around its foundation. That's uh, not not exactly what you'd see in every doubt, potentially, so congrats. But um, I feel like one of the big uh, unlocks of going from V3 to V4 was really the added utility to the DYDX token. Can you dive into that a little bit? Absolutely. So yeah, the community uh, decided to adopt the, the DYDX token as the layer one token of the DYDX chain, which effectively expanded the utility of the token. Um, so once the Ethereum DYDX token is migrated to the DYDX chain and staked to validators, uh, that DYDX chain DYDX token then secures the network uh, and allows for its holders to take part in governance. Um, and so, you know, to date, there's about 95 million tokens that have been staked um, and contributing to the security of the network and allowing stakers to participate in uh, governance. We've seen over 11 governance proposals uh, already. Um, and as a reward for uh, securing uh, the, the proof of stake blockchain, uh, all protocol fees generated uh, flow to validators and to stakers. And there's been a bit uh, over 5 million USDC uh, in rewards that have been uh, distributed to to validators and, and stakers. 
All right. Yeah. I mean, it's always really interesting to see a token have so much utility and it being like genuinely integrated within an ecosystem. That's pretty rare to come about. And I know DYDX has a lot of plans for 2024. So I would love to hear what the roadmap is for DYDX chain for 2024. Absolutely. So yeah, the, the DYDX uh, trading team and and really one of the their core contributors to the open source software uh, re- recently released a, a blog post around their 2024 product roadmap. Um, that went into really great details around three big product improvements. The first is around permissionless markets. Second is improving the trading experience. And the third is around enhancing the, the overall user experience. Um, you know, the, the blog post goes into really great depth on all three of those, but those are some of the major catalysts for, you know, 10x improvements on, on product market fit and continuing to drive uh, innovation for, for the ecosystem. Uh, you know, beyond that, personally, pretty excited about uh, an upcoming Android uh, application, new integrations at the DYDX chain level, and then uh, the launch of liquid staking that just happened about two weeks ago, and then uh, other really novel uh, integrations in, in the pipeline. Awesome. That sounds great. I know we're really excited to keep following DYDX closely, but David, thank you so much for coming on. We'll have to do a full episode sometime in the future because obviously we can talk about this stuff for quite a while, but thanks a lot. We'll link to that blog post in the show notes uh, as well as your Twitter, um, but we will catch you next time over to Hot Seat Cool Throne. Yeah, sure. Let's do it. Uh, this week on the Cool Throne, I have Coinbase. So Coinbase announced the Q4 earnings last Thursday. Proceeded to rip like 15, 20% after market hours just because it beat earnings pretty hard. I don't think any of us were surprised by this, but evidently Wall Street was still very surprised by this. So just ripping off some numbers here, transaction-based revenue came in at $529 million for Q4, which represented a 64% year-on-year increase, and within that, consumer accounted for roughly $490 million, which was a 59% year-on-year increase, and institutions accounted for $37 million, which was a 174% year-on-year increase. I think within that, there's some really interesting numbers. Institutional volume came in at $125 billion in Q4 2023, and that's the exact same number as it was one year ago in Q4 2022. But for 2023, transaction revenue came in at 36.7 million versus 13.4 million a year ago. So on the back of like the same transaction volume, they made like 3x more from institutions than what they did a year ago. And then consumer also ripped up 59% year on year. I think it's attributable to one main thing, actually. It's existing users trading significantly higher volumes quarter on quarter, which means it's really good for us because it's more so like existing participants trading more rather than new participants uh coming in and trading more on coinbase which is good you know like there's a coinbase store app ranking that people use as a barometer for where we are in a cycle and it seems like we're just not that far in in the cycle yet and i think it's crazy right like coinbase still makes an average fee of 1.7 percent on these consumer retail trades which is like a crazy high fee granted that probably comes down over time as more centralized exchanges build up their reputation and there's sort of like a free competition going on as is what happened in TradFi. Um, but I think at least for this cycle, Coinbase will still maintain that branding and reputation and that trust premium that perhaps other exchanges just don't have right now. Um, 
there's a whole bunch of other things. They do away earnings coming at 1.04 earnings per share versus consensus estimates of negative nine cents earnings per share. And another interesting stat was that for much of the bear market, Coinbase has had subscription and services revenue slowly be a larger and larger percentage of their total revenue. And at peak, it reached more than 50%. But I think that has finally reversed and I think it will continue to reverse heading into slightly more increased market activity. And yeah, it seems like all of the stars are aligning. Retail volume on Coinbase is still 80% below peak. Uh, there's a lot of growth that we're seeing in Coinbase International, which is sort of the perps exchange. And there's a whole bunch of like accounting things that we can talk more about later where Coinbase will finally be able to account for their crypto assets at fair value instead of at cost, which should be a pretty significant boost to earnings for share. But I'll take a breather there and if you guys have any thoughts, I'd love to hear them. I think one interesting perspective that I haven't heard talked about much is, uh, you know, if Coinbase is the custodian for the Ethereum, ET if Ethereum ETFs or a large portion of the ETH ETFs, and the ETFs get approved in summer. Obviously, there's a lot of uh, ifs here. And staking language is included. So if staking is included in these ETFs. All of a sudden, Coinbase might have like an extremely large revenue stream from these ETFs as far as like, you know, whatever take rate they have on the staking reward from the ETH held in ETFs. So there's a lot of ifs there. You know, none of it's guaranteed. But I just think that's one interesting catalyst for Coinbase that I had never thought about until recently. But as the chatter about an ETH ETF come summer, uh, you know, trends upward, I, it is something that I'll be paying attention to. I thought one cool takeaway, and it's just tangential, but they're like posting their earnings on chain. And I saw Brian tweet, like, I'm going to try and post these on chain, like literally right at four o'clock. So that way all the analysts are going to have to try and figure out like how to view the earnings on chain, like in that moment, which is like super cool to force people to actually look at the chain thought that was kind of fun and also minting the nft um that they dropped for the earnings is is kind of interesting because he he said like i'm sure you can guess like what this might win you in the future with like a little smiley face so that's like super cryptic but in my opinion brian is directly telling people hey make sure to mint this nft because there might be some goodies for you later on so be sure to do that if you haven't yet made a takeaway here what's that Redfi markets are still kind of bamboozled when it comes to crypto stuff or like they don't really know how to value these things. And right now at this price, I think there's still a lot, a lot, a lot of like growth expectations in baked and nobody really knows what's going to happen in the next five years, especially on the TradFi side. Um, and yeah, if like revenue or like EPS or profits start ripping suddenly, um, in the next few quarters, like I could see TradFi markets going absolutely ham on this thing and just bidding it. To follow up on that point, the FASB rule change, I'm not an accountant. This is not accounting advice. Um, but based on what I what, under, what I understand, it would allow Coinbase to record any unrealized gain on their crypto assets at fair value, right? Um, so if you were looking at their Q4 2023 sort of financial statements, they have $780 million in unrealized gains. And they did like buy the dip. At the end of 2022, they had 2022 million in Bitcoin at cost basis. And at the end of 2023, they had 127 million in Bitcoin at cost basis. Same thing for ETH. 
in at the end of 2022 they had 47 million at the end of 2023 they had 129 million and so if you allow coinbase to quote unquote like mark their crypto assets at fair value today or at the end of 2023 on december 31st they would have recorded 780 million in unrealized gains and that would equal to three dollars and 25 cents earning per share and that's compared to the earnings of one dollar and like zero four cents last quarter like three x increase in earnings per share obviously like that's kind of reflexive like when crypto asset prices go down they're gonna have to like mark that down too and there's gonna be a really really big negative impact on the earnings per share but at least in the bull market it looks great right um and i just think a lot of that probably is being priced in already like i wouldn't be too surprised if you're a watchy analyst you have to be looking at coinbase's like balance sheet and these accounting rules and how it would potentially affect like how they're marking all of these assets on the balance sheet and how that affects like earnings for sure but yeah i think it's still like even now the narrative feels like it's really focused on coinbase's like spot exchange or even like base but it feels like their international exchange isn't even really talked about a lot sure volume is still like really really small compared to other other exchanges it only sees like 1 billion in daily volume but they recently increased their leverage from 5x to 10x they're listing more assets and just given the brand that coinbase has you know if you're trading spot on coinbase maybe like it's probably easy to set up like an international account if you have a non-us based entity and yeah it just seems like they're probably going to do pretty well this cycle again i also think on the perps front like that market is going to mature and expand beyond just Bitcoin and ETH and long tail crypto assets. Like perps could be applied to so many different financial items. Like, and I think Coinbase is primed to capture that growth. So I'm super excited to see how international grows as well as how the perps market matures and as more products and assets are added. Yeah, that's an interesting point because I think perps have been tried before, um, but they never caught attention or they never got adoption in like the TradFi market but then here comes like crypto and suddenly everybody and their moms are using perps which is an interesting setup um and i'm not sure why that is like because yeah perps are a nice product and they're easy to use like why not get adoption in TradFi? matt i think i might be stealing this theory from you but uh didn't you at one point in the past say like it's really weird you just cited the same thing brick just said like why haven't they gotten adoption and you kind of cited well cme is making bank on rolling these contracts and in perps land you know the 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 longs pay the shorts or the shorts pay the longs and then yeah you have your opening and closing fees but it's probably not nearly as large as the rolling fees that commodity producers actually have to do now i'm getting off on a tangent but i just thought that was like an interesting thesis as to why perps didn't take off yeah, it's been my ongoing theory, but I remember like when I first came up with it, our uh, resident TradFi expert, Byron, who writes our newsletter for BlockWorks, kind of shut me down. It's like, there's no way CME is thinking about perps. But um, yeah, that's definitely been an ongoing theory for me. There's no there's no question about it. Like perps would be worse for futures exchanges than futures or traditional futures. I also just got to shoot down the whole app store ranking battle like that is such a dumb argument in my opinion like if you have 120 million verified coinbase users in the u.s then obviously there can't be another 120 million well i mean i guess there could be considering there's like 330 million americans but 
I don't think the app store ranking really holds up that much because everyone already has it downloaded on their phone. <laughs> and yes, it is in part due to usage and downloads. I actually Googled that because I was curious how the app store algo worked. But that being said, if you're looking at the app store rankings for top signals, then you might be uh, might be left holding the bag waiting for it to get to number one again. Do you know if it accounts for international downloads as well, or is it just for the US? I do not know. Okay, because I know a lot of my friends who, okay, a lot of my friends don't trade crypto, but those that did in the past cycle used to go to Binance or Kraken or whatever. So I think there's some value still left in there if it accounts for international downloads, because not a lot of people used to use Coinbase uh, back in the previous cycle, but now things are probably changing. I think if you wanted to have like a Coinbase related metric, it'll either be sort of like verified user growth or monthly active users as a percentage of like total verified users. Because monthly active users right now is still like 7 million or something like ridiculously small versus their total verified user base of 110 or 120 million. And yeah, I do think that Sam has a point there in that like perhaps the Coinbase apps are ranking is not the best barometer of like where the cycle tops. Just one last point on Coinbase. Um, I think a lot of people have seen like the Coinbase Ventures portfolio and they think it's like the most insane venture portfolio ever in the history of crypto, which to be fair, it kind of is. If you go look at Coinbase Ventures portfolio page, it is incredibly, incredibly stacked. It's basically like every token above like a 10 billion market cap, like Coinbase Ventures has probably um, invested in it at some point but i think one thing to notice coinbase ticket sizes i'm completely guessing here but coinbase ticket sizes probably aren't that big and they probably come in like more so at like a later stage than at the seed stage so not everything's going to be like a thousand x or like a 500 x but it will probably be worth like a significant amount at the top of the bull market i don't know whether they get to mark those assets at a fair value but if they do i think that'll be pretty crazy What's up, everyone? March is approaching fast, and I want to give you another reminder not to miss out on DAS London. It is coming. It's right around the corner, and it's in March from the 18th to the 20th. We have three full days of content. This is your chance to bump shoulders with some of the world's top executives and have open dialogue with both attendees and speakers. We're going to be focusing on a range of topics that I'll let Ren discuss for you. First on the list, we have Bitcoin Catalyst, the halving and spot ETF. Next, we have a view from the buy side from investors on things like strategy, portfolio allocation, and more. We also have a topic on RWA's tokenization and stable points, which I think we can all agree are going to play a large role in crypto's future. We'll also talk about global regulatory frameworks like compliance best practices and the evolution of global standards that are shaping the global investment landscape. We'll also have someone from an institutional front to talk about infrastructure such as banking and payments with financial giants like Visa and JP Morgan. And last on the list, the macro case for digital assets. So don't miss out on this monumental event. Seats are limited, so be sure to register today by hitting the link in the description and using the promo code 0x10 to save 10% on tickets. See you in London. How's it going to happen with a with a hot seat? Unless anyone has more Coinbase thoughts. Nah, let's hear it. So I'm, hurt. I'm holding Stark STRK token on the hot seat today. Um, they successfully did their airdrop. For those that don't know, Starkware creates rollups. Um, Stark. Darknet is the main layer two rollup associated with Starkware. STRK is the token uh, related to this rollup. So they launched STRK and it's a lot of success. I think it was trading around $2 last time I checked, which put it something like a $20 billion FDV. 
uh, it after that pumped, you know, a good amount, I think to almost $3 or almost above $4 potentially even. And Tuesday, February 20th. So that was earlier today and yesterday. Um, despite, you know, positive price action, it being the highest FDV roll up at one point in the last 48 hours, there is a huge overhang of an unlock coming up. So in April, mid-April, I believe the 14th or the 15th, 1.3 billion SDRK tokens will unlock. Um, this is, I think, 180% increase in supply versus circulating supply today. And, you know, t- two months from launch until until the biggest unlock and the supply increases by 2.5x almost, like, that is, that is egregious. Um, so they're in the hot seat. You know, I'm a huge fan of their team. I'm a huge fan of all the products they built. I think StarkX and StarkNet are both, uh, you know, revolutionary and a, a big step in the right direction for crypto. But this decision with the unlocks is is absolutely absurd. And uh, they're getting a lot of heat for it, as they should be. So they get hot seat today. Yeah, this kind of blends into my... I'm not sure if, if I want to put this in my hot seat or cool drone but new shiny token investors overall like everybody going mad on these new launches um and valuations are going through the roof but especially with this um like how the starknet or the strk token is being released is quite um like interesting because you'd think they would want to keep their float pretty low because that has especially in the last few months has worked really well where like you keep the float low and then you just watch your native tokens price increase and then at some point start throwing in these unlocks and uh even though they are coming to the market like not that many people care but now because the unlock is so close to the token becoming liquid and the unlock being so huge that markets have definitely like picked up on this and especially on crypto twitter people seem to really be bashing the like the decision to do this stuff crazy that the spf spf model of low float high fdv it's still in practice and still succeeding you know three years later it's a it's a crazy part of crypto that i think a lot of people outside this space don't realize like market cap versus fdv and how we how we define our our valuations yeah exactly but yeah for my this kind of blends together so i'll just hop into my hot seat slash cool drone. I don't know which one to put this on because it's cool to see prices rise, but like this new regime is super interesting where like you look at some FDVs or even market caps and or mostly FDVs for new tokens that have just launched and they pretty much have no fundamental value accrual in place and uh, they're trading at like 10 or 20 or 5 billion FDV and then you just have to kind of trust that the growth will be there or this new tech that's being launched uh opens up something really revolutionary that we haven't thought about um before and that's kind of the thesis i think that's driving these things okay as well as like stake this token and get the airdrops that has been a good narrative recently but yeah if you look at like Gido, dimension recently launched pixel even manta like all of this stuff is trading at such a high valuation, like an FDV compared to like the underlying fundamentals. And I guess it's true that like FDV is a meme, especially in a bull market, but it's good to remember that it's a meme until it isn't. Like when tokens really start unlocking, you'll uh, 
probably never see those prices come back again. Or I think Lido is a good example of this, of like it trading at six dollars um, at an all-time high sometime in 2021. And currently, like things are looking really good for Lido. Um, like the leading in the market might be getting some tradfi adoption, even if these ETFs can throw some money in stuff like that. And it's still not trading even close to its all-time high again. And that's just because like the float isn't um, that restricted anymore. And yeah, I think the prime example of a low float token is WorldCoin, which has recently gone an absolute like um, mayhem. Um, I think it's up like 150% or something like that in the past seven days and trading at something like a 60 billion FDV. Uh, which is pretty crazy to think for a token that, yeah, the value accrual is pretty unclear uh, at the moment. Yeah, I've been saying this for a while. I personally don't have any tiffs with the low float, high FTV playbook, assuming the vesting schedule for everyone isn't like a three to four year deal. Like if you want that to work, I think it's got to be like a 30 to 40 year deal. And unfortunately, no one in crypto actually thinks in terms of decades. We think in terms of months. So I, I, I'm i waiting on the day where we get regulatory clarity and these type of token launches are more normal. But until then, I think we'll get more of the same, to be honest. And you'll see people on Twitter either who were seated and, you know, who participated in the early rounds and you'll see people who didn't. And it'll be highly controversial battles between the two for pretty much the remainder of the bull market. I think at this point of time, the market really doesn't care about valuations. I mean, like, I don't think it ever really has. To be honest, it just sees like a new shiny token uh, and then it just bids it up. I think at least until the first unlock. But also, yeah, I mean, like like most of you guys, like last cycle was my first cycle, you know, and I joined like the bandwagon, like, oh my God, like SVF, like, Solana low float high FTB is like the most like predatory thing, but then now like as an airdrop recipient like low float uh low market uh, low flow and like high FTB is like the best thing ever because it means that your airdrop launches at like some stupidly high like valuation and you make a lot of money you know and at the same time I bet you those people who say like it's the worst thing is also the best thing because of sort of like the narrative between the airdrops that they received and the long term like supply dilution that they experience if you do hold the token. I don't think there's like a good in between right now, to be honest, but I, I do expect this sort of like low float, high FTB thing to just continue throughout the cycle, just cause it's in a lot of parties like incentive to do so. Low float, high FTB gets a interesting. I don't think it's fair to label all coins that are trading at a low market cap, high FTB is the same. Like to Sam's point, a 30, 40 year, vest on you know your outstanding supply your non-circulating supply is so different than two months after launching a token you know increasing the circulating supply by 180 percent and likewise you have to look at who those tokens are going to um is there like an incentive for holding them as far as like can they stake them and sell their, the tokens that they're receiving as rewards for that so we kind of like to bucket this huge category of low float high fdv when there's ways of doing it that from my perspective are totally viable and valid and not predatory and then there's ways of doing it that uh there is no way to look at as not predatory so i i think that you know it's all about education and you know understanding token distributions token release schedules and things of that nature and unfortunately our market doesn't care about these things so uh 
yeah, I guess it's a it's an interesting predicament. Back to Stark too. Like it's at like a twenty four billion dollar FTV. Is that right? Like that's that's insane to me. That's worth basically as much as Arbitrum and Optimism combined. I think it's down to a twenty now. Um, the token price has come down pretty heavily today, and that's my point. Like, I think they, uh, especially um, taking or accounting for this environment we're in right now, like if they would have not released that many tokens immediately, they probably would have seen the same playbook play out as with these tokens I mentioned earlier, where like you see the token launch at a super high price and then you're like, okay, this is not going to go up. And then you open up, I don't know, your trading view next day and it's up like 2x or something like that. Um, I, yeah, I think it's just the market kind of punishing them for that right now, but we'll see what happens in the coming weeks. Like, I think there's an interesting play to be made here if the token plummets enough, like you just scoop up some and hope for the best. How do you guys think pre-launch futures play into all of this? I think they're like one of the products in 2023 that have seen relatively more product market fit or like a semblance of product market fit. Sure, like volume and open interest is still like pretty small in the grand scheme of things. But at least for me, and I would guess a few other people too, like pre-launch futures have done a relatively good job or an increasingly good job uh, for recent airdrops and actually pricing what the token will launch at. And at some point, I don't know if this is the right term, but it becomes like a self-fulfilling prophecy in some sense. Like people see that the pre-launch token is trading at like the pre-launch futures trading at like a 20 billion valuation. And then say the token launches at like $15 billion and then everyone's like, oh, but it should be trading at 20 billion because the pre-launch futures indicated that it was like 20 billion. And so I do think that there's some like interesting dynamics into how these airdrop like price actions may be impacted in the future by what the pre-launch futures are trading at before the airdrop happens. And I do think that there are certain shenanigans that a protocol could do to pre-launch futures in order to influence the market price of the token if they wanted to. Yeah, big agree there. Same as Wells Market too. Like you can trade points OTC. Like I think the same exact thing is going on there. It's, it's very easy to spoof the numbers and try and inflate the valuation that people are expecting. I think it's worth noting that pre-launch futures aren't a new idea. They're filling a hole in the market that, you know, FTX has, has created. Um, that was probably one of the most successful products that FTX ever offered as far as onboarding new users, um, getting deposits. So I love pre-launch futures. I always have, but it is worth noting that it's not new and it, it's been a successful product in crypto for a few years now. Yeah, I just think it's super interesting that, as you mentioned earlier, that the volumes on these platforms aren't that large. Like there's not that much liquidity out there and still they manage to pretty much every time hit the uh, launch price or get pretty close to it. So it's like, who's trading this stuff? Is it insiders or who is it? Because it can't be that a small group of people always manage to like um, find a, or become or get pretty close to like the launch price. Yeah, that's a good point. Like, who is trading these things and how do they know? <laughs> um, but if no one has any uh, other thoughts on that, I can head over to my hot seat or cool throne. That This one's controversial. What, does anyone have anything else? No? All right. Cool. 
So I've got Athena. I think most people would put them in a hot seat based on sentiment on Twitter, but basically it's a synthetic dollar that is yield bearing. And right now it's 20 plus percent interest paid out to SUSD E stakers. So if that sounds a little scary, rightfully so, everyone's still got a little PTSD from Terra Luna and the UST anchor ordeal where you got 20% fixed just for depositing into anchor. But basically how it works is whitelisted users can mint the protocol stablecoin by depositing Steeth and in return mint USDE, but non-whitelisted users, so people like us retail, uh, can only buy USDE, which interesting tidbit, it's rooted through cow swap uh, to various liquidity pools. So maybe this is bullish cow. Um, but holders of USDE can stake their USDE for SUSDE, as I alluded to a minute ago. And right now the yield is 27%. And this yield comes from two sources. It comes from the uh, execution and consensus layer rewards on Steeth, as well as the funding and basis spread from the Delta hedging derivatives position. Um, so as you can imagine, uh, sexes and dexes alike love this product. Probably they currently have 4% of all open interest across the supported exchanges, such as synthetics, DYDX, AVO, Deribit, Kraken, and others. And so I guess you're probably asking now, like, what's the catch? The docs do do a great job of kind of identifying some of the risks. So we can link to those in the show notes, but we have liquidation risk. Like what if their purpose position on sex sexes aren't maintained with, the proper amount of uh, collateral or funding risk, like what happens if the market turns and the funding rate goes consistently negative. Um, custody risk, do we trust coppers, the coppers of the world to actually custody these assets? There's exchange risk, what happens if one of the major exchanges goes insolvent? There's collateral risk, what happens if ST depegs? Like there, there's a lot of questions here and they're all really good questions to be honest. Uh, they do have an insurance fund, which is currently at $1 million right now, but I think that's supposed to get seeded with some of the uh, funds they just raised. They just raised $14 million from uh, notable investors, and they're planning on uh, redirecting 10 to 20% of the protocol revenue to the insurance fund. In my opinion, like I, I guess I see the hot seat case here because... I don't understand why you wouldn't redirect 50% or more personally, like during a, a raging bull market. No one really wants to be holding stables for 25% yield. In my opinion, people are much more interested in being risk on. So you might as well just build up that war chest while people are risk on. So that way you have a massive insurance fund when the tide turns. So people have confidence in the stable point, stable coin, and it doesn't just massively depeg as soon as that happens. But I think the founder actually put it, Put it best in my opinion he said that they're trying to create a vehicle through which interest rate differentials are forced to converge between cfi DeFi, and tradfi and i i think that's really cool like this is like a novel design um people are saying that it's really just like a yield vault and that this has been tried before and it's not going to work and you shouldn't call it a stable coin and maybe that's the case i don't know but we haven't seen a delta neutral stable coin like this at this scale pretty much ever um, and I think it's going to be really interesting to watch play out. Yes, there's concerns around scalability. And if they already have 4% of open interest, like what happens when this thing balloons to $1 billion, $2 billion, $3 billion of supply? But I guess that's why I'm in camp. Increase the revenue take rate to the insurance fund. But what do you guys have uh, on Athena? I really like Athena. I think, I think Athena is an awesome idea. Um, I do tend to agree with the sentiment that it's kind of like a, a cash and carry slash delta neutral fund or a yield vault larping as a stable coin but at the end of the day like 
that's not a big deal. If the rebranding allows them to attract more capital and people want the stablecoin aspect of it, all of a sudden it's not LARPing. It's an innovative novel idea that's changing the game of stablecoins, right? So, um, you know, this the actual core tech there isn't something super novel, like Friction on Solana used to offer something very similar, which was a yield vault that would long um, spot Solana shorted on, I think, Mango or one of the perp sexes on Solana. So it does look pretty similar to this to that. And I thought it was really cool when that occurred. Um, I don't think it's scalable. So with the one strategy of uh, basis trades of, of Delta neutral cash and carry trades, so long steeth, short ETH, um, long, long spot steeth, short ETH perps, I don't think you can like scale that to a, a multi-billion dollar stable coin. Uh, I actually know you can't. I've done a lot of research into cash and carry trades and there's just not the liquidity to do that. Maybe at the peak of the bull, but in a bear market, especially like a billion is already kind of pushing it. That said, if they cap this strategy in a couple hundred million or something of that nature and, you know, find new strategies to, to produce yields, I do think that, uh, you know, if they can grow to a couple hundred million TVL or a couple hundred million minted in the stable coin, they've already succeeded. So I'm a huge fan. I love it. I love the idea of, um, you know, creating a more efficient market and reducing these these funding rates that are so out of whack. Like, for instance, today, Ethan Binance trades at a negative funding rate. Meanwhile, on Quenta and Avo, where these where uh, Athena has huge positions, it's trading at like eighty percent annualized, and these are these are both annualized, so negative eleven percent on Binance and eighty percent on Avo and Quenta. So I think that it is uh, filling an inefficiency in the market today. It is worth taking into account smart contract risk. Of course, you know having money on Avo rollup does pose risks. I'm a huge fan of Avo, but it's just factual that there's risks involved. Same with holding on at sex, but holding on debts even more so. So I don't, um, I think it's important to look at it very quantitatively and to assess all your risks as a first reward and see if it's actually worth it. I would say that I agree with Sam completely that like there's no need to pay 27% in a bull market, especially most of these people are probably depositing collateral, buying the stable coin to go buy more crypto and to leverage up on the crypto exposure rather than like buying a crypto stable coin for a 27% yield. I think Luna and Terra create, created this like mental hurdle like if anything offers me like more than 20 percent on a stable coin like immediately i just think of terra luna usc and like i just think it's sketch you know like even like if your docs are like perfectly explained everything makes sense but in my head that 20 percent mental hurdle is just so hard to get across and i think a lot of people still have very strong ptsd from last cycle and so there's no need to pay like 20 percent. and i i think the ideal move here is to cap the amount paid out at i don't know like a 10 percent annualized yield save like an insane amount of that interest or like funding rate revenue into like a protocol cherry and then basically do what DAI is doing with the DSR and EDSR throughout like 2023 just to keep the momentum going and to keep the stable coin sort of market cap increase and yeah as Matt alluded to I think last cycle in 2020-2021 you saw like a hundred or like a stupid amount of like hedge funds get created and they're all like Delta neutral crypto strategies, you know, they're like doing basis trades, carry trades, whatever. And Athena's like basically that, but they're just fundraising in a decentralized manner. You know, they're saying like everyone can come in and sort of uh, be an LP in this sort of like Delta neutral carry trade, which I don't think is like the worst thing to be fair. And as Matt said, like it helps arbitrage some out some of like the market inefficiencies, especially between CFI, DeFi, and TradFi. My first thought with this is that, like, if you look at some of the largest uh, fund blowups historically, it's usually some kind of a carry trade 
or where you kind of lock your position in and it's always like we did our research this can't backfire and then boom within a couple of days you lose your whole fund and i don't know that's i'm not saying it's gonna happen here but that's just like my first thought and yeah as ren said like every time you see these high high yields you immediately start thinking about like can this be sustainable and like there has to be something wrong here but i don't know we'll see what happens yeah, it's like imagine if they were just paying out 4% right now and then all of that revenue was flowing to the insurance fund and then, you know, you could have a Dow vote in a year or two years whenever the bear market hits and it's like, okay, this is our run rate. Like we can actually pay out 5% for five years with our current insurance fund and now all of a sudden in a bear market you have the most attractive stablecoin to hold and everyone's confident in the peg. It's like why not take that approach over what they're doing today in paying out 27% to people in a bull market who are clearly just farming the shards, which is their points program for those not familiar. Yeah. But I do get it, what it why they do it right now because yeah, you they're probably like super, super uh, focused on growth and like you could argue that just the shards and the invite links and stuff like that is enough to like get market um, attention but here they're like, I guess going full on with it. I wouldn't blame them if they like in five months or four months decreased the yield and like made the take rate for the insurance fund much larger. But I think it's super important for a project and something that's quite often overlooked by like non-devs and non-business people is to like quickly gain market share and then it's easier to grow from there than to have like low market share and then suddenly try and like penetrate the market. I think there is a black swan event potential, like to your point of like how things blow up. Um, you know, I don't foresee it, but a steep DPEG in combination with funding rates, like overarching funding rates flipping extremely negative, would probably uh, be a very, very bad event for how a Unify protocol is designed. Um, I'm sure, I would hope that they have mechanisms in place to mitigate this. This is also, like I said, a black swan event. I don't foresee steep DPEG anytime soon. Um, you know, we're deep in a bear market. I don't foresee funding rates flipping super negative anytime soon, but that would be one potential event that could cause a lot of trouble for, you know, uh, Athena 5 protocol and its LPs. And I will give them credit. Like they did, you know, historical studies over the past three years, which included, you know, the worst bear market arguably that we've seen with 3AC, Luna, Celsius, BlockFi, like FTX, Alameda, like everything blew up. So like, they they looked at that period and the you know the funding was only negative for 13 straight days versus i think it was 108 of positive straight days so that deficit was definitely not that drastic even in the worst of times but my main thing is they're focusing solely on funding rates and historical data which black swans typically don't include historical data and then on top of that you're not pricing in all of the other risks like liquidation risk like the fund or sorry the custody risk the exchange risk the collateral risk like all of this is really looking at funding and maybe steve's peg like at the deepest level and i think they need to prepare for something that could potentially be much worse because like like i said we've never had a delta neutral thing like this at scale and i think they have a really good chance to build something that's super super ingenuitive and actually scalable over the long term as perps mature as more markets are added as they dabble into bitcoin as collateral or even perps for bitcoin to 
to increase the yield and scalability of it. So I would just like to see him take like a more thoughtful and conservative approach. So that way that end result can actually be achieved. One thing I actually haven't seen talked about yet is like, what are the attack vectors here? Or if you look at Luna, I guess you could argue that, or there is some evidence that like the stable coin was attacked by somebody. Um, I'm, could it be, or could the stablecoin here be attacked in a similar way where, way where like, I don't know, on some specific exchanges, they maintain the funding rate negative for like an extended period of time and then take another trade on another site, which then like benefits these stackers um, once everything breaks down. Yeah, you could you could potentially like I don't know what the incentive would be. There really is none with no governance token today. But like you said, you know all of Athena Five's positions on are public. Like you can go look at them on their dashboard, which is awesome. But you know if they have a disproportionate amount of their perps or amount of their uh, you know amount of their value in per position on one exchange, you could potentially go and you know, like market. You would you would, you know you'd uh, market short on that perfect exchange to in an attempt to drive the funding rate negative i don't see why there would be an incentive to do this for anyone but like that would be a potential way to you know cause some chaos or cause some trouble with uh you know with athena Phi. and if they do have a governance token the incentives could change in the future it's setting yeah. up a poly market too it's like all right prediction market does usded peg by a month from now and then you could cause some serious chaos yeah, I was just gonna say I would not be very surprised if there's like some hedgeman out there staring very, very closely at Athena Dogs and trying to figure out a highly profitable trading strategy. And I think another thing that I'm wondering about is like sure, increasing like the stable coin supply and market cap is great, but do they have any sort of pads in place to incentivize like on chain liquidity? Because ultimately I feel like these people want to use like the USCE to go do something, whether that's like buy more like tokens and like no one's really just gonna hold usde in a bull market and so i think that's another thing that they have to figure out and i think the last point i wanted to make was that i get the value of doing historical studies on like exchange like tick by tick minute by minute like historical data but i also think that there's a reasonable argument to be made that market structures change over time in crypto right i bet you like if you did some historical study on like Bitcoin and Bitcoin whatever like metrics over the past five years like now with the BTC ETF there's like a fundamental shift in market structure and it's very possible that something like that occurs for ETH for example if an ETH ETF comes online with like ETH staking and then like all of these large TradFi funds come in to do the same like cash and carry trade assuming like the regulatory environment opens up blah 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 then the market structure could fundamentally change and all of those historical quantitative analysis that they've done like just gets thrown completely out of the window i think where the opportunity arises from is pretty obvious like there's a reason that on binance you know this this arbitrage doesn't exist or arbitrage is a is a stretch but this you know this trade doesn't exist that's because traditional market makers the sigs the jumps the jane streets they're willing to trade there so you know it's an efficient market but when you look at on-chain venues like avo and quenta where they're trading it does seem that, you know, whether it be because of a lack of liquidity or, you know, uh, too much perceived smart contract risk or whatever, maybe even just the lack of knowledge about its its existence. But these market makers clearly are not plugged in there in the same in the same way that they are in other exchanges. 
if in the future we see you know the reputation of these exchanges increase you know the perceived smart contract risk decrease likely this type of trade will not exist i'm pretty confident in that but as always you know inefficiencies in crypto can exist a lot longer than anyone thinks and i am overall a huge fan of athena so despite these you know criticisms it's i think it's an awesome protocol yeah and as i said i think they're doing a good job on like marketing it and like with bd stuff um the rent's point about will there be liquidity or use cases for this in the future like i think they're doing epochs for the shards and each epoch is like you get shards for different things so right now the best thing to do is like um buy the stable coin and then lp it on curve and then lock the lp token but then next epoch there if i've understood correctly they're doing something with like i don't know lending protocols or something where like if you lend against this asset you're getting more shards so i really like that aspect um how they're like approaching growth yeah and they said that this program will only go on for either three months or until usde hits a one billion dollar market cap because they diagnosed market fatigue on points program so i think all of the farmers very much appreciate that <laughs> and i i just want to echo matt's sentiment too like i got on crypto twitter i think it was yesterday when they announced this on monday and everyone was so up in arms about this like kind of like angry at athena for even trying something like this it's like come on like these guys have been nothing but transparent about the risks the the docs clearly stated they've been answering everyone's questions on twitter like they're not trying to say this doesn't have any risks. They're just trying to build something that can kind of intertwine interest rate differentials between TradFi and DeFi. And, you know, USDE is just that mechanism that kind of is the liaison between all of that. So I think what they're trying to do is super, super cool. And I think that they've gone about it the completely right way. And their launch video had a Kendrick Lamar song in it, which I was a huge fan of. So I think they're doing everything right, honestly. <laughs> Kendrick Lamar, bullish. <laughs> all right, if we got nothing else on there, are we all wrapped up with the hot seat cool thrones for this week? All right. Well, Matt, Brick, thanks for coming on. Uh, we will be sure to see you guys next week. Hey, everyone. Thanks for watching today's ZeroX Research episode. I wanted to take a second and remind you about our upcoming 2024 Digital Asset Summit in London this March. Seats are limited, so hit the link in the description and use the promo code 0x10 to save 10% on tickets. See you in London.